0: chapter 15 as was just read for us acts chapter 15 these two men had been together for years they had seen much together they had loved the lord together they had worked together when one was not trusted by a group of christians the other came to his defense standing right there with him and encouraging him they had traveled the world together they had been called gods together and they had been persecuted together When one had been dragged out of the city and left for dead after a stoning, the other was there to go with them back into the city again. Over and over again, these two seemed to be inseparable. They had gone to Jerusalem together to speak about the grace of God that had been accomplished by their hands in the Gentile community as they were coming to Christ. It seemed that they were inseparable and God had even told these two to work together back in Acts chapter 13. And when you think of Paul and you always think of Paul and Barnabas, the two of them working together for the good of the gospel. It seems like they're the perfect duo. And that has to be what makes the end of Acts 15 so surprising. Uh, it, it really is something that you come across. And it is, it's is—it's something that I even looked at and wondered, do, do we make a whole lesson out of this? But I think we do. Because it's not just an insignificant, oh, by the way, Paul went one way and Barnabas went another, but the text does slow down and explore a little bit about the two of them and their separation. And I believe that we can learn a lot from what they do in terms of this separation. And I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about what I think the text is not teaching us to do, because I do believe this is a paragraph that has been used in some pretty bad ways to try to defend various Christian behaviors that I don't think is in the text, but rather is showing us a clear way of how we are supposed to be able to disagree with one another. It is interesting that in verse 36, you'll notice some time has passed by. Sometimes we're we're, we're led to believe like it's the next day. We don't know how much time has gone by since... Uh, the other evidence of Acts 15 and just as some time later, some days later, however many that is, Paul says to Barnabas in verse 36, we need to go back and visit the other cities. We need to go back and talk to them and encourage them. And, and that would make sense for them to go back to those cities and see how those Christians were doing. Remember in all of those cities from Antioch on, there was a Jewish persecution that was happening there and those Christians would have been under threat. And so he, Paul tells Barnabas, let's go back and let's go uh, and encourage them and see how these Christians were doing. Uh, you might recall that you see them doing that earlier in chapter 14 after they first went through the cities that said they went back to those cities encouraging those disciples to continue in in the faith and strengthening them in that way. And so they see this important task. And one of the things that we don't get much of a grasp of as we're reading chapters 13 and 14 of the book of Acts is that Paul and Barnabas had other companions. We sometimes visualize that there was only two of them and there was nobody else but we are told that there were others that were traveling along with them and one of those people that we hear about in the text is somebody named John who's also called Mark and so as Paul says to Barnabas let's go back and encourage these Christians in these various cities Barnabas seems to say Sounds good. Let's get the whole band back together. Everybody that went with us last time, let's do it again. And let's go get Mark and he will come with us. And what we're confronted with there is in verse 38, where it says, Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now, we didn't get much of a sense of that back in Acts chapter 13 and verse 13. We were just simply told Mark left and you were just kind of like, okay, you know, there was no point made there. There's no statement made there. There's no weakness declared there. There's no sin stated there. It just tells us he left. But Paul then says here in verse 28, he doesn't want to bring Mark with him this time because he had left last time. And so here is Barnabas and Barnabas says, we need to take Mark. And here is Paul who says, we are not going to take Mark. And it is useful to even note that in, in verse 30, uh, 39, it says a sharp disagreement arose between them about this. This was not something where they were just kind of like, you know, if you want to take him, that's great. Or you don't want to take him, that's great. I'm easygoing about this idea. No big deal. Barnabas is very resolute. Mark must come. And Paul is also very resolute. Mark must not come. And there is a disagreement about that by which there seems to be no movement. And I suppose if you think about the situation, you might be able to side with one or the other. You might even understand both sides of the coin. If you came to Barnabas and Barnabas says, let's give Mark a second chance. I mean, I know that he left early on in the trip last time, but he says he's ready to go. He wants to be with us. Let's bring him along. It would be great for him to to see all these things. You say, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. On the other hand, you can understand what Paul is saying. He left us Before things got rough last time, and you know it's going to be hard this time, in each of those cities, we were under persecution. We had to be on the run. I've got the marks on my body still from being stoned. It's not a good idea to bring somebody who might abandon us when things get tough. That is also plausible and makes sense. And sometimes when you think about that, I think it is interesting that sometimes as you pick up books, they'll talk about, so who was right? And you might have an idea in your mind, oh, this guy was right. But I do find it important to observe that the text does not say that somebody was right and somebody was wrong. The text doesn't weigh in. God does not come in and go, Barnabas was foolish. For bringing somebody who had abandoned them in the past to bring him again. Or it doesn't say, you know, Paul was being really hard nosed there and he needed to be a whole lot more great. The text does not say that. It just leaves it as if both are right. And the text leaves it as this is something that there's not really a path to compromise. I mean, how do you compromise? We'll take Mark half the time. I mean, that's. What are you going to do when one person says we've got to take him and the other says there's no way that we can take him? What is going to be the solution? And I think the point that is just being simply made here that I think is important as we begin to consider this text is ultimately that they are disagreeing on the best path to accomplish the goal that's before them. The goal that is before them is that God has told them they're supposed to be going and spreading the gospel throughout the regions. And in the effort of doing this, they want to check back in on these churches that they've already visited. And so what are they going to do to accomplish the task? And what we see is there's a suitable solution here that they have is that we're told in verse 39 that they are going to decide to separate And so in verse 39, we are told that Barnabas is going to take Mark to Cyprus and Paul is going to take Silas to Syria and to Cilicia. If you might remember on the journey, those are the areas that both Paul and Barnabas went and it almost seems like they divided up by geography. And so Barnabas is now going to go to the island of Cyprus and Paul is going to take Silas and they're going to go to Syria and to Cilicia. It is also worth observing at the end of the text that you will notice that nobody's criticized there either. The church in Antioch does not go, Paul, how dare you? Why aren't you going with Barnabas? Or Barnabas, what's the matter with you? You'll notice that there's a commending there that's given that we see in verse uh, 40 that Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and, and they went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. Now as I mentioned this text has been used in an awful lot of interesting ways that I want to talk about for a few minutes. A lot has been written about this disagreement. I think there's been a lot of misuse about this this disagreement. I'll reveal to you a couple of them that I encountered in preparation for this this study. One author said this, Paul and Barnabas could have separated on good terms, still disagreeing, but with a cordial Christ-honoring attitude. Instead, it seems they left each other in bitterness. Another author wrote, the omission of a harmonious conclusion indicates the unstated but undeniable failure of two of the greatest souls the church has ever known. And maybe I'm just too much of an optimist, but do we have to assume that? Do we have to come into this text and assume one or both individuals sinned in how this has come about, or sinned in the outcome? I was very taken aback by this and say, "Well, it seems they left each other in bitterness." It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that there was any kind of problem to that degree. And I think it's important for us to think about what we might be implying about this. Does a disagreement mean that we have to leave each other in bitterness? Does a disagreement mean that we have to yell at each other, fight with each other, slander one another? Do we have to imagine that Paul was throwing chairs and Barnabas threatened to quit the Antioch church over this? Is this how we have to visualize what disagreements have to look like? among the people of God? Do we have to presume that the split was filled with anger and acrimony? Do we have to assume that there was a hatred that boiled up and an anger that just was flared over this disagreement that they have with one another? I might be too optimistic, but I don't see a reason to read those emotions or those actions into the text. I don't see that that is what is going on here. And the reason why that is important is that I don't believe what we should be doing is using this text to justify a sinful behavior that we may be exhibiting because we disagree with somebody. And often I've seen this text used that way. There is a major falling out, there's bitterness, there's anger, there's sin... And the response of why that's okay is, well, you know, Paul and Barnabas, they had a sharp disagreement and they had to separate. I don't think this is the text to say that that makes that okay. I don't think this is the text that we can go to and say, well, this allows me to have any kind of sinful actions or sinful behavior. Because the text here doesn't say anything along those lines. It doesn't say anything about their disagreement dissolving into sin, dissolving into some kind of thing that demanded a repentance or that there was something wrong. But rather that you see at the end of the paragraph is that seems that the church in Antioch is approving of the situation and is blessing them as they go. That they're not having to sit down and say, well, you two really got to work this out because this this hatred is just overflowing and this bitterness that is just spewing out of the both of you needs to be resolved. The text is not giving us that. And I think it is important that we would not use this text as a way to justify... Or be a model that this allows us to have a temper tantrum in the church. Or if we don't get our way, we threaten to quit. Or we can be slandering other people because we disagree. Or we can have bitterness towards somebody. Or have outbursts of wrath towards somebody because we disagree. That we can air the dirty laundry of our grievances about somebody because we disagree. That's not what we see happening here. At least it's not stated that. And I don't think we have any room to come here and go, well, that makes it okay when I act that way. And if I were to have sinful, sinful behaviors in my disagreement, this is the way to prove that that makes that okay. The scriptures were clear. We don't slander. We don't have outbursts of wrath. We don't act that way. We don't have selfish ambition. We put the interests of others ahead of ourselves. We can't allow those commands to be set to the side and say, well, those don't apply when we disagree with each other. I would argue all the more that those apply all the more when we disagree with one another. And I believe that they would have practiced that here. I also don't believe that this text should be used as some sort of template to say that this means that church divisions are okay. This is not a text to warrant that people have a right to get up and set the church and then cause a division and start a new church down the street. I don't see that that's what's being used here in the text as well. And I'm stunned how often that does happen. I I am awfully surprised how often that will happen. We're a preacher or a leader, but it seems like it's preachers who like to do it, who get upset, whether rightly or wrongly, about something that is going on in the church or with their leadership or with other people. And the solution is they're going to start a church down the street. And we have to remember that whatever is happening here, Paul clearly commanded and without hypocrisy, there's not supposed to be divisions among us. I don't believe what we have is Barnabas going to Cyprus starting the anti-Antioch church or the anti-Paul church or that Paul went around Cilicia and um, Syria telling them about how unsound all those uh, Barnabas churches are in Cyprus. I don't see that that's what's happening here. And I don't think that's the way this text should be applied. I think it is important that we realize that that's not what this is saying. And I want you to be aware of that. I want you to hold me in account as well. I'm not allowed to get mad at you and go start a church and call myself the West West Palm Beach Church of Christ. OK, that's not supposed to happen. We're supposed to get along and we're supposed to work through these things. And the Corinthian church is one of the greatest expressions of that with all of their failures and all of their problems. Paul working with them to be able to come to the unity of the faith and of course this is not a text to justify family divisions and marriages and so we separate and hate each other and all of that none of those things are true either just as jesus and paul had said when god's joined together we're not supposed to separate so often these this passage can be used i think for all the wrong things and so what i want to talk about is what i think is some of the main are some of the main points that we see from this text number one I think it's important to see that you can have disagreements on life perspectives and still join together in a common work and a common purpose. And I think that's an important stepping stone to have here is that what you notice with Paul and Barnabas is they just have a completely different perspective about Mark. (laughs) Barnabas has a whole different idea about the usefulness of Mark and Paul does not share that point of view, not in the slightest. They don't see eye-to-eye on how to use Mark in terms of their work going forward. It's just a disagreement. And I think it's important to consider that we can have those kinds of disagreements and to really underscore the fact that we are going to have those disagreements. We all come from different backgrounds and have different life experiences and have gone through different things and different upbringings and different cultural ideas We are coming from different backgrounds and you can know that there are going to be those distinctions and differences. One of the things that has always struck me about the apostles is that Jesus called a tax collector and a zealot. Those are the two most opposite political points of view in the Roman empire you could have. You have Matthew, a Jew who was working for the Roman empire. That Simon the zealot would find traitorous to the whole Jewish way of life. And being a zealot means he wants the overthrow of the Roman Empire. And the two of them are called by Jesus to belong as the twelve. And I've always looked at that, been amazed by that, but considered that God is telling us something. About how we are able to work together even if you come from different occupations, different backgrounds, different life perspectives, all of the like. That they were able to come together and work for the same goal. That they were able to come together even with the extraordinary differences that they came from. And to be able to find the common ground of the gospel and the common ground of the work that lied before them and to do that very work. It was about four years ago that Casey Gray came down here to work with us and to work with me. And it was interesting because I knew when we were going to get together and he had first visited and we were having a couple of days of discussions. That you have two people whose backgrounds are so different. You have... Southern California and Northern Alabama. And we have completely different life experiences, completely different experiences among Christians, different experiences in churches, different experiences and how we were raised, different points of view and perspectives on a whole number of things. I mean, the guy would drive me crazy drinking sweet tea and saying, roll tide. I mean, he'd come in from something completely different than me. And I'm just sipping my diet Dr. Pepper going, okay, I don't get you, buddy. <laughs> the differences were many. And I learned so much from him. And I hope he learned a lot from me. That with all of the different backgrounds and completely different way we were raised and completely different culture and completely different way we looked at church life and looked at the scriptures. We came together and we were able to work together for the good of the gospel. It is so important that we recognize that we are going to come from differences of economics and politics and social concerns and those things should never interfere with our working together for the gospel. And right now, we live in a real polarizing time where you just have this difficulty of North and South, Republican, Democrat, mass, no mass, vaccinated, unvaccinated, blue and red, and just on and on and on and on and on. And it's important to understand you can have all of these different life perspectives and all of these different backgrounds we're coming from and all of our different understandings. And you set all of that aside for the good of the gospel, that we set those things aside to do the work that is before us. And I think that's one of the great things that we are observing here in the midst of this is that Paul and Barnabas are recognizing that here's a key truth. There are going to be people here that you may not match very well with in working together. There's not going to always be every single individual of a hundred people that we're all going to be each other's cup of tea and best friends. It's not going to happen. We're different. But I think it is important to consider that even though we can see those differences and recognize everybody may have those kinds of different backgrounds and sometimes we rub each other the wrong way and we don't have necessarily the best of friends, That we are still able to be around each other and work together for the gospel. I do not believe that we should read this text where it says that Paul and Barnabas separated as if what that means is the separation was they couldn't be around each other. That's not the point. Remember the point. We have a work to do that requires us to go to Cyprus, Syria, and Cilicia. And so if we're going to bring Mark and only one of us wants Mark, what we are going to do is divide the work so that they can take care of this area and they take care of that. This is not a separation to say, and Paul could not bear to be around Barnabas ever again. You know, that's why they had to separate. That's not the reason of the separation. The separation is not about the personalities or the life perspective or any of those kinds. That's not the issue. The issue is there was a singular work that had to be done. And so the best way to be able to do that was to divide the work and say, you do this part over here and you do this part over here and we can accomplish the goal that is before us. That the point of the text is not to say, okay, when we disagree with each other, start new churches here, 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 and here, because we can separate, because that's what the text says. That's not what this is saying. But rather, the separation would be, I'll work over here in this area of, let's say, teaching these classes. And you can work over there and do evangelism and you can work over here and do this as we are together in this fellowship here as this group. That the work that we have together here can be tallied up and say, okay, well, you don't, I'm not your cup of tea. So maybe you shouldn't be working with me going around and talking to unbelievers. Why don't you go over here and try with these people to talk to unbelievers? Not let's move because I can't stand around to be around the person. That's not the idea. But that there is so much work here that needs to be done. There's so much that could be accomplished that maybe you and I shouldn't be together on that particular task, but you can be with somebody else for this task as we work together for the common purpose. Because what you see that I think is beautiful in the text, the work was not slowed stopped this did not turn into the Antioch church crumbling down around it because Paul and Barnabas had a fight and I think that's very important to see this doesn't stop the work this doesn't devolve into personalities this doesn't turn into a big spat it's just I'll do my work over here you do your work over here because there's so much that needs to be done because God had given them that task to go out into that area And as you're here, God has given us our task here in Palm Beach County to do the work. And you may not like me a whole lot, but we can still work together, even with our different perspectives and different personalities and different backgrounds and different cultures and different way of thinking. We can still work together for the good of the gospel. I believe that's what you see Paul and Barnabas doing here is a proper understanding of what they could do for the good of the gospel. Which leads to the second point, and it pushes it even more. Not only will we have disagreements about life perspectives and culture and background and all of those kinds of things, we're going to have the differences from Matthew the tax collector to Simon the zealot. But we're even going to have those on the scriptures. We're going to have those on the scriptures. Sometimes people get very nervous about especially like in Bible class or even I'm doing a lesson, you say, well, I don't really agree with that. That's okay. That is absolutely okay. One of the key functions of why we have our Bible classes is to be able to express those differences so that we can come to the common work and come to the common purpose so that we can come to a common knowledge. And we should never be troubled, never be troubled when we study a text, talk about it, and disagree about certain things. We should not be troubled by that. And you should not be troubled to think that you have to agree with everything I say. You don't, and you are not going to be thrown out of here for disagreeing with it. (laughs) That's not the point here. But to be able to join together and come together and to realize If we are doing things right, we're never going to completely agree. You say, why not? Because if we're doing things right, there's always going to be another new believer who comes in. And now we're all not going to agree again. (laughs) And we're all going to be at different levels of maturity, different levels of knowledge, different places in life where we're looking at the scriptures and we're going to have those differences. If we demand that everybody sees the scriptures in the exact same way, you are only going to have a church of one because you're never going to have complete agreement on everything. Even April and I don't agree on everything. (laughs) It's going to happen. So what are we going to do? That we are going to understand that the scriptures tell us that God gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers for the equipping of the saints. And what's the goal till we all come to the unity of the faith to understand that we are all in process, that we are all learning, we're all trying to grow in that together. And so we're going to be in those different places. We're going to have that different understanding. We're going to have the different levels of maturity. And we're going to constantly be working together and growing together as people move in and out, as people become believers and follow Jesus. We're going to constantly have that where we are working together in that. And so we're going to have those differences and we aren't supposed to freak out on each other and go, wow, I really don't see things that way. That's okay. Have that discussion later and talk about those things. And I appreciate how often you all have done that with me, where we've been able to talk after services or you shoot me a name, email, or give me a call. Say, I want to talk about that because I didn't get that. I didn't understand that. Good. This is not monolithic where it, what I say goes. That's not the point at all. But that we're working together in these things, coming to this common ground and coming to this maturity, which which means... Final point, number three, that means we're going to need to have patience with each other. If we are going to come to the unity of the faith and that we understand that we all came from different backgrounds, with different upbringings, with different teachings and different cultures and different understandings, and we're in different places spiritually with different levels of maturity and different levels of spiritual knowledge then friends, we're going to need to have an awful lot of patience with each other. An awful lot of patience with each other. That's going to just be required if we're going to be able to go forward. And unfortunately, I believe what happens is too many disagreements turn into flight, fights and splits because we lose patience and self-control. It turns into the individual rather than the issue. We get mad at something and so I'm out of here, you know, I'm going to go do this and I'm done. We need patience with each other and we need time to give toward each other. And we don't have to be best friends, but we have to love each other. You're not going to be best friends with everybody. You may not want to hang out with people Monday through Saturday or certain ones. You go, we just kind of, you know, we're porcupines with each other, but we have to love each other. We still have to give to one another. We still have to serve one another. We still have to sacrifice for one another, even if we may not want to hang out 24-7 together. It's so important that we express that kind of patience. And part of that patience, and I think this one is, is really important, that we give people the time and the room, the space to grow and change. That you have to allow people the time the space to grow and change and to especially give that to yourself that really what might need to happen it might be you that needs to grow and change and so many of the things that we talk about whatever it is we talk about our scriptural differences or whatever How long did it take for you to come to that position that you have of your understanding of the scriptures? How long did it take you to get there? And why when you talk to somebody should they now accept it within five minutes? (laughs) How long did it take for you to get where you are in your life and your perspective and your understanding of what a Christian walk looks like? And what that means and what that service looks like and what that knowledge looks like and what that should look like in life. How long did it take you to get there? And will you allow other people to take that long to get there too? Because so often what it is is, well, I've been, I'm 46. 46 years it's taken me to get here, but why don't you just do it tomorrow? Come on. Why don't you see it my way? No, because it took you 46 years to get there. Give me a minute. Might just give me a minute. And so often what happens is we lose patience and lose self-control. We just say, why don't you see things my way? Change now. But you know you needed time to make all the adjustments you've made. Your changes in your understanding of God, understanding of the world, understanding about how to live life as a Christian. You've needed that time to give other people that kind of space and that kind of time. Let me end with this. Disagreements do not have to be sinful. Disagreements does not mean that we have to split. Disagreements are going to happen as we work together and strive to love one another. They're going to happen. I don't think we should read these verses in the lens of what those two authors said which is, wow, they could have handled that so much better and what a terrible way and what a terrible blight on these two souls. I don't think so. I think a beautiful model is given here. The goal is put before us and we can divide up that work as we work together in that. That there are things that we can do that we work together with each other better than others. But we can all come together with even in spite of our life perspectives and cultures and backgrounds and think so's. And even with our spiritual maturity and spiritual knowledge and still focus on the key goal of glorifying God and accomplishing the work in this area. That's what Paul and Bonardus did not want to lose. They needed the gospel to go back to those cities and those Christians needed to be encouraged. And they found a way to make sure that happened even though they disagreed on maybe the best way to do it. And I think it's important that we see that that is possible for us as well. We're going to have all kinds of things that we're going to look at each other and go, I don't get you. (laughs) I don't understand where you're coming from. I don't understand your way of thinking. And that's okay. Because we are bound together by the blood of Christ. And we can work together for the good of the gospel in the face of all of those differences and all of those different ways that we look at life. Let's go to God in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, I first want to thank you for this group of Christians. and I'm grateful, Lord, that we have had such peace and harmony among us here for so long. And I thank you, God, that you have given us that peace and that we have so many people here who have yielding, sacrificing souls who give to one another in the way that you want us to. So, Lord, thank you for this family that you have given to us. And, Lord, I pray that that would always be the case going forward. Lord, help us to continue to defer to one another to seek out each other's best interests, to do what is best for the other ahead of ourselves. Help us to look out for others before ourselves. And Lord, I pray for you. Forgive us for the times we haven't done that, the times when we have failed. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us, so that we would love one another and serve one another all the more in the days ahead. And Lord, I thank you for this picture that you have given us with Paul and Barnabas. Help us to always see the importance of the work that lies ahead of us. Help us to see all the souls that are lost in this area and how much work there is that we can do. Help us to love one another in spite of differences that may arise. Help us to serve one another in in spite of our various levels of maturity and knowledge. Lord, help us to always reflect you, reflect your glory, reflect your mercy and grace, and reflect your sacrifices you've done for us. Lord, thank you for all that you do for us. And we pray that we could represent you in this community far better in the future than we have in the past. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Really is a great text and we get a great picture. We can disagree with one another. We can still love each other and work in this same field as we strive for the same goal. And may we do that as we stay together and we work until Jesus comes. We help you come to Jesus in any way, and you see the beauty of what God has done for us. It is amazing to me that God said, Here's what I want to do. I want to take a bunch of people with completely different backgrounds who've got broken lives because they're full of sin. I'm going to throw them all together and say, now, I want you to learn about me and grow together. I'm going to have some speed bumps along the way as we do that, but it's a beautiful thing to see what God has asked us to do in a beautiful family that we have here. May we continue to strive for that goal of growing to the unity of the faith. May I help you in any way come to Jesus. Once not you come now while we stand and while we sing?